In this class on the sayings of Jesus, we've studied many kinds of sayings that Jesus spoke when he walked this earth. Um, some long ones, such as the Olivet Discourse in Mark 13. Some very short ones, like his very first words to the disciples, follow me, two words. Today is another short saying, and one that we could pass over without giving much thought of, but um, the Lord prompted me to stop and, and listen to what he said on this occasion, and I'd like you to join me in this study today. So we're in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 6, initially. This is after the resurrection of Jesus, and he has he spent time on earth with his disciples, 40 days, and at some point during that time, he was up on the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, well, let's pick up the story, and we'll tell it from there, okay? Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. Now let's stop for just a minute. For us, that would be uh, fishing is relaxing, it's recreational, and so I'm going to go out and, and wet a line, so to speak, and just kind of relax a little bit. Now, Simon Peter could have had the same thing in mind, but you have to remember that he's, he's a commercial fisherman. He doesn't fish to relax. <laughs> he fishes to make money. And, uh, but it could very well be that because of all that had happened in the last few days, uh, the last month or, or more, um, Jesus, last week in Jerusalem, uh, watching the Lord... Um, be arrested, and then his own denial of him, and then uh, his death on the cross, his resurrection. Um, Peter might have just wanted something familiar and decided to go back to what he knew, which was to fish. And so the disciples that were with him, they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. So they fished at night. And that was evidently customary at that time. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Let's stop there. I guess the phrase that I'd like you to remember today that Jesus spoke is, throw your net on the right side of the boat. Throw your net on the right side of the boat. This was a miracle. Uh, these men knew how to fish. Peter and his brother Andrew were, were professional fishermen. 
They had no doubt grown up um, fishing. James and John and their father uh, fished together. No doubt they had grown up fishing. These are men that knew the Sea of Galilee. They knew how to fish. Um, They were good at what they did. And so to have fished all night and to be pulling into shore and have someone tell, tell them to throw their net on the other side of the boat and that they would catch everything they wanted was probably a very hard thing for them to swallow. Um, but they did it. And the result is this huge number of fish, uh, so large, they're, they're unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And so probably what they did was they um, continued to, to row towards sh- shore or be blown by the wind. And, uh, and they, they brought the fish in the net along, but in the water. They couldn't actually lift it out into the boat. It reminds me of another miracle um, where Jesus seemed to know something and shared it with the disciples, and an amazing thing happened. Let's look at that miracle for just a minute. It's in Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27, and I'm going to uh, skip a few words in between there, so, uh, but we'll, we'll still catch it. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? The temple tax was a, um, a fee that every person paid just for being alive. And uh, so they're asking this question and, and Peter says, yes, he does. When Peter came into the house, Jesus said to him, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. Another miracle. How, how would Jesus have done that? How would he know? It was, it was a, mirac- a miraculous provision uh, that, that uh, when they followed his directions, came about. And notice that the same thing happened in the fishing um, on the Sea of Galilee. When they followed Jesus' directions, they caught more than they could handle. Why did Jesus perform these two miracles? Was he just concerned about providing resources for his disciples? I think that could have been a reason way down the list. But the main reason was that he was teaching them a lesson about something that was even more important than catching fish and living and paying their debts. And that was something that he had said to them when he first uh, called them to follow him. I'd like you to go to uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 17. And let's remind ourselves what Jesus said when he first called the disciples. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. He's saying to them, you know about fishing for fish. I want to teach you how to fish for men. I want to teach you how to bring lost people into the kingdom of God. 
And so in the next three years, he began to teach them. It was a, quite an intensive class, as you know, if you've read the New Testament, particularly the Gospels. Um, they were with Jesus in a number of circumstances that um, were astounding. They saw miracles that were astounding. And they learned principles that went against um, the grain of common culture and common uh, sense of that time. But Jesus was teaching them and he was training them to become fishers of men. One of the most important lessons that he taught them was this thing of following his direction even when it didn't make sense. So I'd like, I'd like for us to look at, a, an, at an example from Jesus' life that helps us to see what is meant by throwing your net on the right side of the boat. Very early in Jesus' ministry, um, this next story occurred, and let's talk our way through it. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Let's stop just there for a minute. He had to go through Samaria. So he was in Judea and evidently wanting to avoid conflict over um, any kind of conflict with the ministry of John the Baptist. He decides to, to go back to Galilee. The normal route in going from Judea to Galilee was not as the crow flies. And the reason was, in the middle between Galilee and Judea was Samaria. Samaria was inhabited by um, Jews who had intermarried with Assyrians, and they were half-breeds, so to speak, in terms of their um, nationality. They were part Jew. They had a a different worship system. They had their own temple and their own feasts and festivals, and they were different than Jews. They had some things right, but they didn't have it all right. And there was great animosity between Samaritans and Jews. And so most Jews, as they would journey from Judea to Galilee, would go around. They would go to the east and go up uh, to the north, and then cross over again to the west, but they wouldn't go through Samaria. So when it says that he had to go through Samaria, that's an interesting statement. John is making that statement uh, because he knows the rest of the story. Let's talk about the rest of the story. He decided to go um, through Samaria, which was the wrong route, so to speak. Um, for any Jew, that would be the wrong route. He gets to a, a village in Samaria about midday, and they get to the town well. It's the, the town of Sychar. And he sits down by the well, and his disciples go into town to um, try to find some food. And he's there at midday. Now, at midday, there would be no activity at the well. 
nobody's going to come out in the heat of the day to draw water. That's a, it was a strenuous job. And um, so he's there. But here comes a woman from the city of Samaria to draw water. And so as she comes to draw water, Jesus talks to her and he says, oh, may I have a drink of water? She says, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water? She identifies the inappropriateness on several levels. First of all, she's a woman, he's a man. In that culture, that was not done. You didn't speak privately to a woman uh, like that. And then um, the other thing was he was a Jew, she was a Samaritan. They didn't have anything to do with each other. And Jesus says, if you knew who was asking you for a drink of water, you would have asked him for living water. She doesn't get it. And she says, well, you don't even have anything to draw with. How can you get this water you're talking about? And then he, and then he began to talk about the kind of water that he was able to give her. And he said, the, the water I, I would give you would be something that would bubble up from within. And uh, she, she thinks, um, well, this must be kind of an everlasting source of physical water. And she says, well, give me this water so I don't have to come back to this well and, and draw here. And uh, Jesus continues to talk to her about um, this water. And then he abruptly stops for a minute and he says, would you go call your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had four. And the man that you're living with now is not your husband. And uh, she says, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she goes on to drive what she hopes will be a conclusive wedge between this man who had invaded her privacy. And she says, well, you know, our... Our people believe that we worship on Mount Gerizim. You think it's in Jerusalem. And uh, so she's bringing up the, the religious difference between them. And Jesus says, uh, again, something very unfitting. He says, we Jews know what is right about God. You don't know what is right about God. <laughs> the wrong thing to say again. Jesus seems to be saying so many wrong things. And yet, she said one more thing. She says, well, I know that um, the Messiah is, is coming, and when he comes, he will teach us what is true. And Jesus says to her, I am the Messiah. And just then, his disciples come up, and the, the conversation breaks, and she is stunned by that um, statement by Jesus. And as he's talking to his disciples, she leaves and runs to town. And she begins to tell everybody in town that uh, there's a man out at the well who's told me everything that I've ever done. And the people begin to come out. And Jesus shares with them. And many believe because of the things that the woman had said. And of course, because of what Jesus said. And he stays there for a couple of days. And Many, many people in this city are brought to Jesus. Okay, 
Why do we tell this story? Well, Jesus took the wrong road. He picked the wrong time of day. He spoke to the wrong person, a sinful woman, a Samaritan, a woman. And he picked the wrong subjects like her husband's the difference between the Jews and the the Samaritans in their worship. And yet, through all of that, he said the thing that she needed to hear the most, that he was the Messiah. And that drew her to him, and she became a witness to people in her village, and they came out, and many Samaritans in that village were brought to Jesus that day. That's what it means to drop the net on the right side of the boat when you think it should be on the left side. It's following the way Jesus leads. That's the way to become fishers of men. Let's look at another story. And this one is uh, found in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. We'll begin there. And um, again, we've got an example of what it means to um, drop the net on the right side of the boat. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's stop there for just a minute. I'd like you to see what's happening on a map. You can see that in the top part of the map, Paul is making a trek um, across, it looks like Asia there. Um, Asia was to the south, and uh, Mysia was to the north, and, and Bithynia was up to the north. So he was prevented by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in Asia. He had that in his mind to go there. And he will go there eventually. He'll speak in Ephesus and he'll bring the gospel there and it'll be mighty, but not at this time. The spirit of God is directing him. And he thinks about going to Bithynia. You can see that up in the north part of the, uh, of the map. And again, the Holy Spirit um, prevented him from going to Bithynia. So his plans are thwarted twice. So he continues on and he goes to a town on the Aegean Sea, Troas. And that night, he has a vision of a man from Macedonia. Do you see where Macedonia is? It's um, just across the Aegean Sea and it's that region... um, Well, the word is there, Macedonia. And Paul concludes that God is calling him to go to Macedonia. So he gets on a ship and he heads across the Aegean Sea 
and ends up in a place called Philippi. Let's, let's talk our way through that now. He lands in Philippi and he's looking for what God might have in store. And so he checks around and finds out if there's any place of worship where God is being worshiped. There were Jews everywhere in the Roman Empire and uh, he was basically trying to find some uh, Jewish worship that was going on. And he, he did, he found a prayer group that was happening down by the river and on the Sabbath. And he met a woman there by the name of Lydia and she accepted the Lord as her savior. And um, Paul ended up staying with her and her family. Well, he continued to meet with Lydia and these women who were meeting by the river. And one day, a slave girl came up behind him and was shouting out things. And he turned around and he delivered her from the demon possession that she was under. She had been demon possessed and was able to uh, tell fortunes and tell the future and was making a lot of money for the people that owned her. And so uh, when he delivered her from those demons, she was of no use to them because she couldn't do that anymore. And so these owners were incensed and they grabbed him and they hauled him to the city center and they incited a crowd and they began to riot and they brought Paul and Silas to the magistrates of that city. And, the magist and they, they claimed that these men were upsetting things in the city and doing things against the law. And the magistrates had them beaten and thrown into prison. And so they're sitting in prison and Paul is thinking, can you imagine what he's thinking? I wonder, I certainly got it wrong when I was in Troas and I saw the man from Macedonia call, calling. I must have gotten it wrong. Did he, did he think that? Probably I would have thought that. But Paul and Silas were singing hymns they were still choosing to believe that they were in God's will because they knew that following the Lord also involves suffering. Jesus made that clear, that if people hated him, they would hate his followers. And Paul taught that. He said, it's been appointed unto us not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So they, they chose to believe at that point. They continued to follow God. And then during the night in the jail, um, there was an earthquake. And everybody in the jail was set free from their bonds by the earthquake. The doors were thrown open. The jailer waking up and seeing what, what had happened was about to kill himself. Paul stopped him. And he shared the gospel with this man and, and this jailer and his family became believers. And then the book of Acts is fairly silent about anything else that happened at that point, but they, they left Philippi. But the next thing we know, when we read the book of Philippians, is that the church that started through Lydia and this jailer and their families became a strong church. In fact, it became Paul's primary supporting church. I'd like you to look at Philippians 4, 15 with me. 
Paul says this in Philippians 4.15. He says, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. He was saying, you were the only source of support for me. So this Philippian church became a mighty missions church, the key support church for Paul. And it came because Paul was willing to throw his net on the right side of the boat. He was willing to do something that didn't make sense to him, but God was directing him. He directed him through that vision. And as Paul followed that vision, and Lydia became a believer, and then the jailer, and then Paul leaves, and then somehow those two families joined and formed a church that grew and became strong, and they became his number one supporting church and helped him to go to many, many other cities and cultures to share the, the gospel. Does God know what he's doing? Does God know how to help us become fishers of men? He certainly does. We need to learn how to drop our nets on the right side of the boat. There's a couple of scriptures that I'd like for us to look at as we end today. The first is found in Psalm 32, verse 8 and 9. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. And so Paul, or God is saying through this portion of the psalm, that uh, he will instruct us in the way that we should go. When it comes to being fishers of men, reaching people for Jesus, let's follow the Lord's direction. Even though we've fished all night, drop the net on the right side of the boat because he's asked us to do it, and there'll be a big catch. Let's look at verse uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I, I like that, or I, I think it's important for us to remember verse five uh, when it says, lean not unto your own understanding. Could we go back and just look at that again? Do not lean on your own understanding. So when Jesus tells us what to do, if he has a plan, we need to follow his plan, drop the net on the right side of the boat, and experience the catch that he will bring about. What does God have in store for you and for me? I believe great things. And uh, today we've been reminded that we need to follow his plan, even when it's it goes against conventional wisdom. Follow the plan that the Lord gives us. Drop your net on the right side of the boat. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this inspiring passage that you've allowed to be included in your word. And I'm just excited about 
putting that into practice. A little bit scared, but wanting to put it into practice, seeing the amazing things that you will do as we follow your leadership and drop our net on the right side of the boat. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. God bless you.